It's good to be in the Lord's house today, and I'm glad you're here with us. We are concluding a series that began a few weeks ago called Weary and Wounded, and it's one that uh, I hope has provided some comfort and uh, some biblical principles and thoughts for each of us as we process the various hurts and challenges of life. I I said at the beginning, and I'll say it again today, I know that we've not been able to exhaustively cover every single topic that could come into a series like this. But if it's at least helped us take a step in the right direction and given us some insight into the fact that God does want to be very near to us in a time of, of hurt, a time of, of, uh, of hardship, uh, that, that, it, that, it, that it will be helpful. I've had a number of conversations over the last month of people who have shared with me some of the things that they have gone through are currently going through. And we've had uh, a number of times just to, to pray together there in the back and, and to bring these things before the Lord. Uh, I do believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ offers hope and healing. And when we think about the gospel message and we think about, about the uh, salvation that he offers, I know oftentimes we think of it from an eternal perspective on what, on what lies, uh, what is waiting for us when this life is over. But you know, his gospel also It also uh, impacts our daily lives. It has a redemption that brings the broken pieces of life back together. And he, being the Prince of Peace, is able to do things for us and is able to to, uh, come alongside and give us a renewed hope uh, even as we we navigate difficulties. We know that there aren't easy answers, and so the series is not meant uh, meant to, uh, to give easy answers for difficult situations, but hopefully some of the truth that we've looked at uh, has been an encouragement and may be an encouragement for you in the future as well. This morning I want us to speak of the, uh, on the topic of instruments of healing. Uh, you may have noticed in the video that we just watched that, that the man had some kind of an awakening. Uh, for whatever reason, he had missed a lot of what was happening in the lives of, of people around him because he was primarily focused upon who? Himself, yeah, that that was his universe, that was his world, and and he was just oblivious to the needs of others, including uh, their hurts and challenges and ways that he could could be a blessing. And so there was a real transformation that happened there that the Lord brought about. And uh, it's a reminder to us and to, to, to me included that we have been called to be instruments of healing one to another, to be people of encouragement who can offer hope, who can offer healing. Uh, and I, I know that these kinds of things don't just happen automatically. Uh, we must say that we value it, that we want to be intentional about uh, uh, coming alongside someone else or allowing someone to come alongside us, if that be the case. Um, but we are going to look at a few of these this morning that I think will, uh, will encourage us to be a church that, uh, that values relationships uh, to the point where we would want to be a conduit of mercy and grace, and even healing. The first one that we're going to look at this morning is compassion. That, uh, that as believers, we can respond to suffering with compassion. Um, as I think about, about this, I, I realize that God Himself is a compassionate God. And so if we have the capacity to, to, to give compassion to someone else, it's, it's Him at work in us. It's us following His example. Even back in the Old Testament times, if you look at Psalm 145, uh, it speaks of His compassion. It says in verse 8, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion 
on all He has made. And so this is part of God's character, that He is a compassionate God. And when He sent His Son, Jesus, to come into this world, and and we see the ministry and the life of Jesus, again, we see the hallmark of compassion coming through. Uh, one of the, the, uh, uh, the passages that, that strikes me is out of Matthew chapter 9 when, when it talks about Jesus going to towns and villages and, and healing people and thinking about the physical needs that they have. But then in verse 36 it speaks that, that He's able to see something even deeper than the physical needs. It says in verse 36, When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, in that day, they did have, they did have a shepherd. They did have uh, people that were there to care for them. But uh, but as Jesus saw them, he realized that they didn't have that kind of care, and he wanted to to provide for them what they needed, even even at the soul level. And this uh, this idea of compassion is something that he not only demonstrated, but he taught about it. In fact, one of the uh, the parables that probably comes to mind when we think about compassion is the parable of the good Samaritan. You may remember that, uh, that uh, the teaching that Christ gave in, in talking about a man who was on a treacherous road and uh, as he was traveling, do you remember what happened to him? Some people came up and, and robbed him and they beat him and they basically left him for dead on the side of the road. And uh, some people began walking by this man and uh, we were told of two different people that were uh, even religious people, right? And what did the, the, the two religious people do when they saw him? That's right, they, 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 they crossed by on the other side of the road. But then there was a man referred to as the Samaritan, right? And you remember that he gave just an overwhelming uh, uh, example of compassion. When he, when he came and he, he helped this man, he bandaged, bandaged his wounds, he provided for what he needed, and even uh, left money with an innkeeper to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to care for him and give him a place of lodging. I mean, he just went over and over to, with, the, uh, with the example of compassion and meeting someone where they had a need. And that's, that's part of our call as well. Now, in fact, this word compassion that's used both in Matthew 9 and, and also in, uh, in the parable uh, is, a, is a very strong word. It's, it's speaking about a compassion that brings about a response. That there's this, this idea of, a, of, a, of an emotional response that, uh, that, 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 that coincides with the, with the, uh, uh, with the compassion. Uh, something that you can even feel deep inside. Uh, you've probably experienced this when you've seen someone in need where you not only see it cognitively, but you have this feeling almost even in your stomach at times that, that there's a response there, that deep level of compassion. And uh, maybe you've seen that. Uh, maybe you've experienced that when you've, when you've come across someone in a, in a time of, of deep need. Uh, maybe you've, you've seen something on TV and you see the, the Christians in, in uh, the Middle East that are being persecuted and you, just, you, you, you feel such compassion or you see the, the people in Nepal who have, who have been dealing with uh, the aftermath of, of, the, of the earthquake there and you see the need and the brokenness and I think uh, 9,000 people that have, that have died in that. Um, maybe you, you see uh, pictures of, of, of children who are starving or orphaned. And, and you look at it and, and there's, such a, a, <clears throat> there's such a response that you can even feel it in your stomach. That's the kind of compassion that Christ had. That's what is being spoken of here. And it's, uh, it's something that indeed does lead to action, but we, we have a, a response that we can feel. I uh, 
read a story. It's something that, that happened a few years ago, but somehow I missed it when it, when it happened back in 2007. But it was, it was about an act of compassion that was shown in New York City near the subway. Uh, one morning there was a, a man who was, uh, that was about to get on the subway and, and he was having some kind of a seizure. And uh, his body was convulsing and he was, he was, he was uh, losing his balance, as you might imagine. And he fell right into the, to the tracks of the subway. Of course, all kinds of people are, are watching. And, and there's a, a man named Wesley Autry. In fact, you can see his picture here. Uh, Wesley was, was, uh, was uh, dubbed the subway superhero because even though a lot of people saw what was happening, only one person jumped in to aid this man. Uh, and you can imagine the, the scene there of someone falling into the tracks. If you've ever ridden on a metro before, you've probably wondered what would happen if someone fell down into that because there's no way they're going to get that train to stop, right? Well, Wesley saw the man fall in, knew that he was, fell in and was not conscious and uh, thought he could jump down in there and pull the guy to safety. But just as he got down in there in between the tracks, he saw the, the, the light from train one coming right on in. And the conductor, of course, on the train, the engineer saw what was happening and hit the brakes. But, you know, there's no way they're gonna get, he's going to get that thing to stop. Um, and so what Wesley did is he laid down and, and pressed him down into the ground and the train went over them. In fact, one of the accounts I read said that, uh, that there are 21 inches of vertical space and these two bodies being held down below the train totaled 20.5 inches. And that it was so close that there was even a uh, smudges of grease on his blue knit cap, which you can still see in the picture there. That close. But you think, there's a man who saw what was happening. And out of compassion, he jumped into action to help save the life of another person. By the way, Wesley was taking his two girls uh, to school. Or picking them up from school. I think it was in the afternoon. And uh, so as the train was still on top of them, he called out and said, Make sure you find my two girls. Let them know that I'm okay. And of course, they had to then get the train moving again and get those uh, two men out of there. Uh, And uh, he went on and uh, worked the night shift that night at work. So you think, what a a hero of a guy that that didn't know this man. He was a college student, didn't know him at all. But he became his neighbor because he had a need. And this guy decided that he would meet that need. I just thought it was such a powerful, powerful uh, picture of compassion in action. And I, and I think about us as believers. I think about myself. Does, the, does that Christ-like compassion come through in my life? Does it come through in the life of our church? As we, uh, as we live in the community, as we interact with people at work or in our neighborhood or in the, in the, in the classroom, do we, do we have that kind of compassion that, uh, that, just, that just comes through. You know, I think about the, the people in the congregation this morning. I know that all of us have an opportunity to, to, uh, uh, to exhibit compassion. Uh, but I think, I think even of the young people that are present here, you know, in our student ministry, um, you know, what, a, what an opportunity to, to show a contrast from the way the world lives and to see the opportunities around us to, to have that kind of compassion that the guy had in the video where he was looking and, 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 and seeing the needs that were present in the lives of others. And uh, so oftentimes we can just get focused right in on what we need and what we're doing and what's on our schedule for the day that, that uh, it can be so easy to miss that. But I pray that God would give us the eyes to see. Uh, I came across a definition of compassion. I don't know who to give this credit, uh, this definition credit to, so I guess it's like an anonymous uh, uh, quote. But this is what it says. It says, Compassion is giving a taste of God 
to unsuspecting people. Anyone, anytime, in your area of influence or along your path in life. And I thought, you know, as we, as we wrap up this series about being wounded and weary, uh, compassion is something that we should touch on because that would be the motivator in responding to those in need is having that Christ-like compassion coming through us and asking Him to, to, to give us the ability uh, to be a church that is like more like a first aid station, right? And seeing someone that's in need and being willing to assist and to help. Well, not only compassion, let's think secondly of authenticity. Authenticity. This is the idea of relating to, to others uh, with, a, with a relationship that is authentic, that is real. Um, and I'll just tell you, this is, this is really a hard one. Uh, as we think about, about how we interact with other people, so much of what we do is on the surface level, isn't it? Uh, I mean, we put that, that good, good uh, foot forward. Uh, we put on that, 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 at times, even a facade because we don't want people to see the need or the hurt. Uh, that, that may be inside. Uh, and so we, we just, uh, we, we tend to cover that up a little bit. Uh, even in the church, I think, I think uh, it, it, it can be a real challenge to try to, to know someone at that deeper level where we really can uh, communicate and we really can assist someone. In fact, a lot of times when we ask someone how they're doing, what's, what's the response that we usually get? What is it? Fine. Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, I was talking to a guy that... that uh, that I meet with regularly for discipleship, and, and he was giving me a, a definition that, that he had, had heard. Uh, we'll credit a, a counselor in Texas named David Ferguson, as this is the definition for fine. Fearful, insecure, neurotic, and evasive. So when you're saying, I am fine, are you really communicating all of that to someone? Uh, maybe, maybe not, but the point is well taken. And that is oftentimes that word fine is just is just a word. Really, it doesn't even have meaning, does it? I did have a guy before the first service. I was, I was shaking hands as he, and as he was coming in. I asked him how he was doing. And he looked at me and said, I am not doing well. And I knew his situation. I know what's going on with, with his wife and, and uh, sickness uh, and so forth. I won't go into all the details, but I knew what he meant. And, 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 and he's not. He, he came into church today and he's not doing fine. He's not doing well. Uh, his, he's in a very challenging time right now. Uh, and that's the, those are the kinds of things that we need to be looking at with one another if we want to have that kind of authenticity. In fact, the book of James has a, a verse that speaks about, uh, about this. Verse 16. And uh, there's a lot that could be said about James 5.16, about coming alongside and praying for someone who is in need. Um, but look at, look at what it says here. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what does it say? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And we could look at James 5.16 and we could, we could take away the idea that we need to be praying for one another because it's speaking of prayer. Uh, and, and thinking about sometimes someone is so hurt or they're going through a situation, they may even have a hard time voicing a prayer to the Lord. And we could say that we could come alongside and help pray for them and undergird them and assist them in that. But there's more to it than prayer. If you look at the beginning, it talks about even confessing sin one to another. Now we're getting to a different level, aren't we? 
This is just a little deeper than what we may be comfortable with in terms of a, of a relationship with someone where we would even say, here is a struggle that I have. Here is a temptation that I have. This is something that I'm wrestling with. This is an area that I've fallen in and, and I'm, I'm confessing to you so that you can pray for me, so that you can assist me and encourage me. Maybe hold me accountable if, if, if appropriate in, in this particular area. But it's interesting that it says that in confessing a sin to someone else, that there is healing that takes place. And I, I, would, I would say that there are probably some of us that have experienced that. And you're thinking of a close friend, or you're thinking about an occasion, maybe even with your spouse, where something has come up and you're able to talk through this and, and pray through this, and you see that there is healing that's happened. But I, I would also say that there are probably a whole lot of us they get real uncomfortable about a verse like that. Because there's, there's some vulnerability, isn't there? If you're going to open up to someone in that, in that regard, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it just happens haphazardly. I think that it's based upon a relationship where, where there is trust and where there is a, a willingness to, 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 to really say, this is, this is the real me. This is really what's going on. This is really what, what, uh, what I need encouragement in. And so I, I hope that, that you're able to pursue that again, as I said at the very beginning. We have to value that. We have to say that there's something to that that we would, that we would invest ourselves in because we know that there is a risk when you, when you, when you, when you open up to someone in that, in that way. Um, but is it worth it? Is that sometimes the healing that's missing because we've not developed that relationship with someone? Here's how C.S. Lewis said it in his book, Four Loves. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it up carefully with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Theologian and author C.S. Lewis. Do you think he's on to something? You keep it that protected from, from, uh, from others that you miss out on the opportunity to have the healing, to have the encouragement, to find that hope one with another. I'd like to, to mention that there are ministries that are available as we think about instruments of healing. And one of my fears and even touching on this subject for a few weeks is that, that we may open some things up and it's like, have we, have we really given, given uh, enough assistance and enough help? And so uh, knowing that there are ministries that have been designed and developed for things just like this, I want to tell you about a few of them. Uh, the first few are, are speaking about some support groups uh, with names such as Grief Share, Divorce Care, Celebrate Recovery, Living Free. These are, these are just examples of, of Christian ministries and groups that are, that are available to assist. Uh, as we talked about small groups on Wednesday night and Thursday night, the, uh, the man that came to town uh, to, to assist us in thinking about small groups reiterated the value of groups like these that come alongside and, and assist people in a, in a time of, of, uh, of, uh, of struggle, uh, you can tell by the titles of some of these that they're, they're meant for particular seasons or even particular uh, aspects of life. And uh, 
I, I, I hope that we again can offer some things like this because I know that, uh, that it's, 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 it's one of those uh, ministries that, that is so vital uh, and it just really comes to the very core of someone's life. Uh, there are churches that offer some of these. And uh, there are uh, ministries like this in our area. And I, I hope that you'll see that, that, they are, that they are there. And there may be some ways in which we can grow in this as a church as well. Uh, Christian counseling is another one that I want to touch on. That is something that has really developed and grown in the last few years. Uh, probably the last 10, 15, 20 years, even uh, seminaries have, have been uh, offering uh, whole programs on Christian counseling because we realize that, that there are some, for some, uh, some times when, when uh, we just need that specialist, that person that can come alongside and, and give the assistance. Um, it doesn't mean that pastors aren't able to counsel. I do give counseling. I give kind of pastoral care support. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, so glad to be able to come alongside uh, people in their, in their time of need. But I also realize that there are situations that rise above uh, my ability to counsel. And I'm so grateful for, for those that, that have a calling and have a giftedness to, to really be able to, to assist, whether that's in, 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 in marriage or in something like depression and, and other, other areas. And so uh, if that's something that, that you would, uh, would like like to know more about, we have some Christian counselors that we refer to on a regular basis. And, uh, and I just want to say that there's, there's not shame in, in going to see a counselor. Uh, this, this is something that I think that every believer at some point may need that kind of assistance. And so uh, I support it and I just felt like it would be something worth mentioning uh, while we were on this topic. The, the next one there on the list is Christian community. Christian fellowship, because I think that at times that one might be missed as well uh, in realizing that among the family of Christ, among our church family, uh, the support is also offered through community one with another. Uh, in fact, one of the first passages we looked at in our series was in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'd like to read these verses again. They read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So you see that even as a church, that's part of our role to assist and to care and to comfort one another. Um, yes, there are, there are people that we can look to for assistance, but, but it's also very, very much expected. And it's part of, of who we are as a church family to care for one another. And I shared a testimony about that in the first week as I talked about the, uh, uh, the death of, of my father-in-law a few years ago and how the church family ministered to our family and, and cared for us. And I, and I, I see that that is something that, that, uh, that as a church we want, to be, we want to be aware of the fact that God may be using us to be an instrument of healing, an instrument of hope, to someone that's around us, someone in our church family that is struggling or going through a time of difficulty. I know sometimes the, the temptation could be to, to disengage, right? Because we're just not sure what to say, right? Has anybody been there before? You're just not sure what to say? And you know, sometimes, let me just tell you, sometimes there's not a right thing to say. But by being present, by being close, by expressing love, and commitment to that person, that in itself can be a measure of comfort and hope for them to know that they aren't going through this all alone. Well, we want to respond with compassion, 
Again, I want to speak here about the authenticity. But the final one this morning is I want to point us to Christ. And I want us to remember that we serve a Lord who does care. We serve a God who is a God of compassion. But as we think about the topic of being wounded and weary, we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who can relate to suffering, can't he? Think about the ways in which Jesus suffered while he was here on earth. And I know we think about the cross and we think about the suffering there, but really throughout his life, I mean, there were times when he was rejected. There were times in which he was mocked. Even the established church of the day that would, that would, that would cast dispersion against him. Even at times his own disciples, right? What did they do? At times they abandoned him. So he knew what it was like to have suffering and hardship. And so I, I, th- I think that as we, as we bring this this series to a, to a uh, conclusion that it would be very fitting for us as a church family to go before the Lord in a time of worship. And uh, we've had some different things throughout the series. And even a couple weeks ago, we had the rock that was given away. And we took the rock up and we put it on the table. We put it in the vase. And, and you know, it was just a way of us being able to, to, to respond to the Lord in a, in a, in a, in a, a very intentional way. And I hope that this Lord's Supper time that we're about to enter into can be that as well. As we commune with Him, as we worship Him. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. Now, of course, this is a prophecy that would be fulfilled in the death of Jesus Christ. But we remember that, that there is healing, spiritual healing. But as I said earlier, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, is a, a gospel that brings spiritual healing and it does give salvation. It does give promise for eternity. But it also meets us right here in the here and now. And God cares about who we are and where we are and what we're going through. And he can relate. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that he can even sympathize with us because he himself walked a path on this earth that was not easy. This morning, we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper. And I want to begin by, by showing you the bread that we're going be, gonna to be using this morning. I know it's not really our little uh, bread that we typically pass out, but uh, has anybody seen this before? Have you ever participated like in a Passover Seder meal and you've had some, some matzah bread? That's what this is. This would have been the type of unleavened bread that Christ would have used at the meal that he had with the disciples. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because as you look at it, I know it's, it's kind of far away, but it looks pierced. And the way that they make it, you can see light coming through it. And, and it looks striped as well because of the way that it's baked. And it, it really is a, a very physical reminder. Yes, it, it doesn't have leaven in it. It's unleavened because there was no sin in Christ. But it also reminds us of the punishment that He took, the suffering that He took. And so as we take this this morning, I want us to be aware that even as we come, as those who have suffered, that we go to a Savior who suffered as well. The Lord's Supper is meant to be a time where we remember. And uh, I know there's passages in and, and, uh, and, and Scripture that talk to us about the, the, the manner in which we receive the Lord's Supper. 
First Corinthians chapter 11, that we want to do it in a, in, a, in a manner that's worthy. And I think what it's speaking of is that we don't want to just go to the table of Christ and, and go through the, the, uh, the, the taking of the bread and drinking of the cup and, and not give thought to what it really represents. Because these are symbols that are very, very precious to us as believers because of what they represent. And so we go to the table this morning, uh, we come and, and we, uh, we, we commune with the Lord, we worship, maybe a time to, to confess before Him if, if we need to do that as well, so that we can really uh, come before Him and worship this morning. I want to give an, another verse that we don't always use at the Lord's Supper time, but it's out of Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so I'd like for us to connect our, our topic this morning and of the last few weeks with the, the observance of the Lord's Supper. Now we're going to do a little different. We're not going to take the bread and the cup to you this morning there in the, in the, uh, in the pews. We're going to ask, if you would, to get up in just a moment. We'll pray first, but then I'll have you stand up, those who would like to participate. And, and I would say that everyone may not want to, and that's, that's your personal decision. Some might say, well, what if I'm not a member of the church? And I would say, if you are a professing believer of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to participate in this time of worship. But we're going to ask, uh, after we pray, for you to stand up and just come to one of the four tables. There's two in the back and there's two at the front. Go through, there'll probably be some lines that form. Go ahead and take the piece of bread and the cup, and then just maybe move over to the side. You could take it back to your seat. Uh, there's some area and room, particularly in the middle and the back, where if you would like to pray with someone else, uh, maybe as a family, maybe someone that's in your, in, your, uh, in your ABF class, maybe a friend that's here, and pray together before you take the, uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, I'm going to ask... Uh, if the deacons would, if we have some deacons that help prepare this, if, if they would stand by the table, and I'm going to ask their wives as well, if they're, if they're present, I know they may not be, but if, if, if some of, the, uh, of, of your wives could also stand near the table, and if there's anyone that would like to, to have someone pray with them, we'll have people available to do that. And you could just go off uh, over to the side. And, and uh, Now, do we typically do it this way? No, I know we don't. I know it's going to cause a little extra getting up and moving around, but, but I really want us... To, to give some consideration to, to what the meaning of this is. And I also want us praying together before we take the supper. And so I don't know what that will look like uh, with who you'll be praying with, but look for one another. We've been talking about compassion today, right? So if you see that someone's kind of going through the line by themselves, ask them if, if, if they would pray with you. And take the initiative. Someone's going to have to take an initiative to voice a prayer because not everyone's going to feel comfortable doing that. Uh, and so we'll just, uh, uh, after we pray, we'll stand. And like I said, there's two in the back, two in the front. Uh, there'll be a song that's being played as we receive the Lord's Supper. And then after that, come back, be seated again, and we'll, uh, then we'll wrap up the, uh, the service afterwards. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come before your throne of grace to find help in a time of need. And we thank you that you are a God who does understand the struggles, the hurts of this life. In fact, you experienced it at the highest degree by laying down your life, by suffering and bleeding and dying on the cross. And so, Father, we come now, we come mindful of what this represents, and we come asking for you to meet with us 
as we come to you and as we meet with one another. Bless the cup. Bless the bread. Bless the interaction that will take place one with another.